Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo Paul. And for Smithy, and alongside me is Chris Milicic, former New Zealand under-20s coach. Uh, how you doing, Millie? I'm doing good. Uh, mate, that game, boy, uh, there was some great football played, but most of it, to be fair, was played by the Moroccans. It was interesting at the end of the game when you see the Morocco had 51% possession. It was 61 61, yeah. and also the shots were equal, 14 to 13. So well, that's the sort of thing where you realise that the Moroccans have uh, really had a really good go at this game, and, and we'll discuss it further. But uh, I think the key, it came down to one or two individuals who were able to execute at times. That is the thing. We were uh, There was a bit of frustration. I mean, neither of us had a horse in this race, but there was a bit of frustration at times with the Moroccan players in and around the penalty area. It's like, pull the trigger, mate. Pull the trigger. Yeah, well, there was there was definitely a move later in the game. Uh, it was still 1-0 at the time. He's cut inside. He's had probably two, maybe even three opportunities to pull the trigger. He's trying to set himself up for a perfect strike, and eventually the French were able to smother it. So you, the difference was, you know, the French players are prepared to Mbappe's. Both goals have come from a, a mishit shot that's kind of cannoned into someone and dropped somewhere so you've got to take a risk and who knows what will happen and you know balls through legs, cannon off shins whatever, uh, it's very difficult to score goals at this level and if you're not prepared to take your opportunities you'll you'll be left wanting. You will be, uh, it does mean of course that it sets up France versus Argentina Monday morning uh, that's uh it's a pretty tasty looking World Cup final. You've got Messi, probably his last World Cup. Mbappe, this is his second, but uh, you know, we were talking to Jacob Spoonley yesterday. He said if that happened, it, that feels like a passing of the torch type moment. Yeah, but I'm not 100% sure that Mbappe's in the same echelon and will get into the same echelon as, as Messi. Um, I think this is a unique opportunity for Lionel Messi to almost rubber stamp his career. Uh, and I think that the French side have got to play significantly better than they have today to achieve that because yeah. I think the channels they open up and especially on the outside and the inside channels of both fullbacks that's where Lionel Messi is at his most dangerous and, and that's something you know I mean France coming into this World Cup had a lot of injuries right we've talked about about some of those I mean Benjamin Pavard the, the first choice right back from Bayern's not there uh, no Paul Pogba no N'Golo Kante no um, Benzema no Christopher Nkunku you know there's some really good players that aren't at this World Cup for France and maybe we're starting to see that in the depth because the guy they have playing right back now, Jules Koundé, plays centre-back for Sevilla so he's not really a right back. And, and you could certainly see it today, a lot of the positioning by him and Hernandez on the other side uh, was not quite right. They were able to get caught inside and there was a period of 20-25 minutes when Morocco were really in, into the game and it was mainly coming success from the bad positioning and the poor turning of both fullbacks for the French side um, and I think France could be really grateful today for the two centre backs they had playing who were both quite outstanding in clearing crossing and blocking stuff um, but it does show you at this as you get higher and higher up the, the, the pecking order of playing these games you need experts in their position who know exactly where they're standing and can read the situation and, and fix it up Yeah I mean, and you talk about uh, the left back uh, Teo Hernandez I mean he tends to play more as a, a wing back at AC Milan. His brother Lucas Hernandez was the first choice 
fullback coming into the competition, got injured in the first game. So, you know, once again, it's another player that's missing for the French that just shows you their depth, though. They've gotten all this way without those players. Well, yeah, the French depth. The French depth has been around for a long time now, you know, probably the last 15, 20 years. They really worked really hard to develop it. Thierry Henry was probably that in that first group that comes through and they started to do really, really well. Um, and But... They've got through today, and I think against another team like a Morocco had had a Giroud-type player up front, we'd be maybe talking at a different level. But the reality is the French squad, when you look at it in depth, has depth in all positions and capability. To win the next game is going to require the best of the best. Mm. And I, it felt like a little bit, uh, particularly in the second half, the French maybe lacked a bit of leadership on the field and maybe lacked a little bit of direction. Yeah, I think that would be a fair comment. I mean, my personal opinion, I think Griezmann was the outstanding French player of the day. Um, and he's not really a leader. He's a, he's a really good player and he gets around. and he's. But when you've got him picking up balls at the edge of their 18-yard box and clearing stuff, you go, OK, this is not where we need Griezmann. We need Griezmann further up the field. Um, and so... I always think there's a there's a byproduct or there's another thing that happens if your goalkeeper is actually your captain. He's not actually in the middle of the field mm. controlling stuff. So he could be as much as 60 metres away and things are happening and he can't say much. He can only say when it's in his, his range because it's so noisy in these stadiums. He can't get his message out because it's too fast. It's not like he can run up next to the centre mid and go, we need to keep it tight, we need to close up. He, he can't do that. So, um, And I've often wondered why you would make a goalkeeper your captain for no other reason is they're not actually involved in the play uh, 95% of the time. Yeah, well, and that's another piece actually that's missing today because, you know, a lot of people... Uh, have negative things to say about Adrian Rabiot uh, because he's so inconsistent can be very hot-headed. Been great this tournament for France in the place of a Pogba, in yep. the place of a Kante. Uh, and he has been that leader in the midfield and the guy that can put a lid on things and is happy to talk to the referee and is quite vocal. Not there today and, and, and it was noticeable. I think it was noticeable. You saw uh, there were times... You know, I'm not 100% sure that a Mbappe would just be walking as much as we saw today if you've got a bit of a real driver in the middle going, hey, get in here, just block the passes, don't allow that ball. Because there were a lot of balls getting played that one of the key things from a footballer, if the ball's in the middle of the pitch, you don't want anything going inside you. It goes around you, that's fine. But anything inside you is penetration through your blocks and then they're, they're trouble. And, and I often think you need that midfield leader who just drags people in because the, the more narrow you can make yourself, the more difficult you are to play through. And... And I, and I often got the feeling today that France believed they were going to win. It sort of struck me there was there was not a lot of fear about, you know, oh, we could lose. And, you know, there were times when you thought, oh, go, give it, a, and just didn't happen. So that comes down to leadership and drive. Uh, you know, you, you look at the, the centre mids they've had over the years, and that just wouldn't happen under Petit and those sorts of guys. No, no, 100% wouldn't happen. Uh, and interesting, too, with Deschamps on the sideline that it's happened under him because he was very much that sort of player. Yeah, yeah, he very much was. Yeah. Now, Mbappe, uh, it's worth a conversation because there is no doubt the kid's got talent, right? He's 23, um, he's fast, uh, great with the ball at his feet. But, you know, you said it, you don't know that he'll get to that echelon of Messi. But is, that's all to do with what's between the ears, right? Because attitude is a big thing. And today, you mentioned it, uh, he didn't do any work off the ball. He looked, I don't want to use the term lazy, but he he, he really looked lackadaisical at times. Yeah, look, people talk about Messi, and Messi's in the game, and at times he's walking. 
But I think when he's walking in a game, his scanning's at a very high level. He's looking at what's happened, and then he executes it. Uh, so he might come inside, he might go outside. He, he changes what's happened by what's watching. And I remember there was a very famous quote by Johan Cruyff when Messi was quite young, and he said, he's a hell of a player. It was 18, 19, I think he was. Hell of a player. Might have been 20. Anyway, and he said, when he learns to pass and do the right things, he's going to be a hell of a player. So I think for a lot of young players who are physically adept like Mbappe, he's going to have to be far more impact in the game in the little things. Now, look, he's created both goals through bursting and one-twos and shots and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, hats off to him. But I think there are times when he's got to do more to become a more dangerous because one thing about when Messi's on the pitch you can never ignore him mm. I think there are times when Mbappe the defence can almost ignore him because he's actually not in the right blade of grass so he's now on a, a level now where he now needs to step up and be better prove he's better and I'm not sure he's got the weather all to decide that he wants to be the greatest footballer that we've, the world's ever seen and that's a challenge for him um, but in saying that he is still one hell of a player mm. yeah very good player very good players whether he can he can push through into that next level as you mentioned well, we should talk about Morocco as well uh, Hakimi Ziak again their midfield very good but they were carrying a few players they had injuries Roman Sais at the back has been so important for them I mean he only lasted 20 minutes mm. they had to go to a back four and uh, how much of an effect do you think that had? Well, I, I do think it had an effect, but I think the biggest effect against Morocco was their whole plan went out a window in the fifth minute when the French scored. Um, but I think if we're talking about Morocco, what they have done is outstanding. Uh, they've taken players that the world didn't know about. They've turned them into players that have made the semi-finals of the World Cup. They could still come third in the World Cup with the 3-4 playoff. Um, they play in a style of football that suits them. They're un apologetic about that. It's like, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to play 5-4-1 and we're just going to get you on the counter. Where, but you, you said it while well, the game was on. That, that was the first time from open play Morocco conceded a goal in this tournament. The, the other one was an OG. And so you go, wow, that requires great coaching, a team totally buying into what the coaching plan is and being prepared to execute it. And they've gone into an area in which no African nation has ever gone or and no a team that's Arab. I know Morocco sits between the two, but neither of those confederations have had a team go that deep. And I think when you're talking about a football sense, uh, it's it's an amazing achievement by a bunch of players that believe in what they're doing. And the fact that so those players that play in France have elected to play for Morocco and not France, even though they've been born one of them's been born in Paris, so they've have every right to play for France. So shows me that they've got they've got something there that I think could. I'd love to see it explode into something bigger in four years. But like we've seen loads of times, teams do really well, and that was a bit of the surprise of Croatia. Teams do really well at a World Cup, and then the next World Cup they kind of nowhere to be seen. So the challenge now is for Morocco: can they? exploit this and be better in four years to even go one step further. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be uh, interesting. I mean, Ziyech will still be around. He'll be 33, I think. Mm. Hakimi will still be around. He'll be in his late 20s. You know, um, some of those really important players should still be there for, uh, I was going to say for Atletico Madrid. I'm thinking about Bono, the goalkeeper, yeah. you know, uh, who's at Atletico. He, he should still be around as well. So they can grow on this, uh, which, is, which is going to be huge. And I, I, I too look at the impact this might have 
on other African nations, particularly North Africa. I mean, Algeria weren't far away from being at this World Cup. They lost a playoff to Cameroon. You've got to think the Tunisians aren't too far away. They've got some very good play. Well, they, I mean, they were at this World Cup. I mean, that part of Egypt, they lost a playoff as well. You know, that part of North Africa is looking very strong at the moment. Yeah, well, there's been a tremendous amount of investment in the development of, uh, structures of players. And, of course, the development structure of players gives you a pipeline. Once you've got a pipeline and they're into Europe, you get better players. And once you get better players, you get the opportunity to go on. I mean, Mo Salah is playing up front for Egypt. I mean, he's you know he's a top goal scorer. He's been very, very good for a long period of time. Now, the key is, can you get two or three of those type players and then your team becomes more than competitive? Yeah, that's what we want to see. Uh, I want to see more of it, growth of the global game. Uh, this is SENZ Mornings Live from the Flare Bar at Sky City, Auckland, Ricardo Ball. Chris Milicic with you. France have beaten Morocco by two goals to nil. They will meet Argentina 4 o'clock Monday morning, New Zealand time in the FIFA World Cup final. Uh, Millie, we should talk about that final. France versus Argentina, based on what we've seen in the last two days, I think you'd have to say Argentina are clear favourites. If it was a 50-50 a day, Argentina are the favourites. Um, there's a lot of emotion in the Argentinian team as in doing it for a Lionel Messi. Uh, whereas I don't see the same sort of purpose in the French team. I mean, I think they could say, look, we're the first team in, since uh, Brazil did it in the late 50s, 60s to do two World Cups in a row. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, because Argentina, when you watch them, they're dying to give them the ball. They're dying to work. Their work rate's high. They're, they've, they've given everything they've got for a greater cause, and I think that that could be a major difference in, in the final. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, th- I think uh, Argentina are favourites for me, unless something goes horribly wrong for them. I expect them to win the final on Monday morning. Um, in terms of the French, what they, what you watch today, I mean, we talked about the fullbacks is one thing, but, I mean, where do you think Argentina can hurt them? I think Argentina can hurt them primarily through Messi. If Messi starts to play on the outside uh, channels, which he will do, um, and then the two French wider players don't tuck in to deny the middle, you're going to find Messi's going to be picking the balls up in that pocket that's between the French centre-back and the right-back and the you know the, the centre-back and the left-back. In front of them, he's going to pick the ball up there and then he's going to go one-on-one with the centre-back and as what happens as we see, Messi quite likes to come to the right side, pick it up and start cutting it on his left. So you're going to ask Hernandez to chase him inside and at any times, Messi's going to be looked to slip the ball or shoot. Now that's going to be a huge problem because Mbappe plays in front of Hernandez as we saw here, and he's going to have to come back and double-team Messi from the backside. Well, that necessarily is not what Mbappe wants to do or what the French team would do. And then you're asking people like Griezmann and that to take those tackles. And the one thing about Messi, he's extremely quick with his feet. He can nutmeg you, he can go round, he can slip it, he can do all sorts of things. And if he does that, and then you've got the... the the Argentinian strikers that are now going to lock up the far centre-back. So the, the centre-back on Messi's side is going to find himself having a hell of a time unless the two wide players for France start to tuck in and deny some channels. Yeah, I mean, there was acres behind Teo Hernandez at times today, wasn't there? There was, and and you can see you alluded to it before. He's generally playing wing-back, which means you play a sort of mismatch between attack and defence, and you're higher than you should be. And he scored a goal, and it was a great goal. But the reality is you, against a team with, with a Lionel Messi, who, as we talked about, he walks, but he's actually scanning and he knows what's going on. The moment they get a position wrong, he's going to pop up and those things and cause a problem. A bit like what he said against Australia where the ball goes in and he's flying through and everyone's ignored him and suddenly he's got the ball and he's shooting and he scores. Argentina are fantastic defensively I would say but 
they play at a higher pace than France, and they've got a great engine room. Uh, they, they just don't let you rest on the ball. France won't find it as simple today. I think uh, right from the very beginning, I was a bit surprised France weren't more high pressure against Morocco. And I was a bit surprised Morocco didn't sort of do the same thing to France. And it became a bit of a cagey game, whereas I think Argentina is prepared to just say, we're going to try and win this and we're going to press you. Yep, I think that's uh, that's right. And they'll have a Cunha back as well, who was suspended for the semi-final. And I mean, you know, that he's a guy that just goes and goes and has wheels for for absolute days. So yeah, the, that Frenchman feels going to get a test. And I, uh, I mean, we saw the way that they did that to that Croatian side as yep. well, which you know, on paper's probably got the best midfield of the comp. Well, I was like a lot of people. We watched that game against Croatia, and I was a bit surprised at the ease in which Argentina basically won that game. It's not what anybody was expecting, and. And for a team like Croatia that are quite good in the midfield and are prepared to press and win a lot of ball in there, suddenly they couldn't win ball. And I think the one thing that Argentina have in this World Cup is I think the loss to Saudi Arabia in Game 1 scared the hell out of them. So by scaring them, they suddenly realised, a bit like Uruguay's kind of went through the World Cup just cruising, think we're going to qualify and then we'll wake up. That forced Argentina to wake up. And since then, um, they've played it like every game's a cup final and they're trying to win. And they've got themselves into this real determined, hard attitude and the amount of ball they win, the amount of ball they disrupt and the amount of pass options they are in the way of is making them probably the most dangerous side because they have an incredible cut and edge up top. It's going to be a, uh, I think, a, de- a, de- a defining line in, w- in world football this World Cup in that you'll see Luka Modric, former Ballon d'Or winner, uh, Lionel Messi, and Cristiano Ronaldo probably all retire internationally after this, or close to anyway. They certainly won't be at another World Cup. Uh, so that is going to be big. It's going to change the footballing landscape internationally. Well, I think it will change that in such a way in the fact that most teams would then have to become teams again. Yep. You've removed the marquee-type player that you try and wrap yourself around. And as we've seen with Portugal, Cristiano's not absolutely flying, and being him as he was previously, uh, they, they can get caught. You know, and so I think we'll see more team focused. And when you look around the world of football, I can't see many players standing, stepping up to say we're going to be in the same echelon. Probably um, Haaland at, at Man City, but he plays for a country that's not massively going to automatically achieve these things. So, yeah, when you look internationally, even the teams, you're going, who's it going to be? And maybe Mbappe, but he's got a long way to go. And so I think with the next World Cup will be more based on team functionality and who does well. And and we'll see what happens. But I, I think we're in for a really exciting next four to six years, to be honest, as we look for the next sort of one that, uh, player or group of players that can dominate uh, when so many countries are getting better and stronger and faster and they're getting to the same levels. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops, mate. Hey, uh, we should talk A-League as well, mate, because the APL have made a decision to sell the next three grand finals to Sydney and there has been massive backlash. Uh, football media in Australia uh, don't like it. They've been pretty vocal about it. Players don't like it. They've been pretty vocal about it. Fans certainly don't like it and have been pretty vocal about it. Even some of the broadcasters, people like Lucy Zellich, who's you know, big in the football broadcasting set over there, said, terrible idea. Um, APL are having a second emergency meeting in three days today, apparently. Uh, what have you made of the decision? I think the decision is based, makes sense from an Australian sport point of view when you think of the NRL and the 
you know, so if you were sitting on the outside and you go, what a great idea, we'll just have it at one place and everybody comes together like the NRL has the same day. And But they're... Football in Australia and New Zealand is the only sport that's in seven states in Australia and in New Zealand. Yep. It's across the entire geographical mix. To stick it in a Sydney, say, say for example, you've got uh, Wellington Phoenix and Perth in the final. Yeah. Well, there is no value there. You also remove the parochialism and the absolute sheer passion that no other sport seems to be able to generate apart from football for these great big events. So the question is, why would you not embrace that? And it's all, the timing's so weird. After Australia did so well at a World Cup, and you bring something that basically changes the noise about, you know, it was about the Australian team doing really well and how we got these players in the A-League's done really well, and then the A-League's almost decided to come out with a decision like this. And, and if I'm a fan and say, you know, I decide I want to go to the the final and then I get to the final and neither team have I any affiliation because I thought we'd get there and we didn't get there. Do I go? Do I not go? Uh, you know, you're talking about interstate travel in Australia. It's big money. And to suddenly say, well, I'm going to go all the way to Sydney and oh, my team's not here. It's it's a bit of a bit of a tough call. And really, I, I keep thinking this. Football is the biggest game in the world by miles. Like, it quadruples any other sport by by a factor of 10. And yet, in this part of the world, we keep making decisions based upon where we are instead of looking at the best models around the world. And the best models around the world is we we end up with a final with a home team in there. But even the Champions League, biggest final in the world, goes different cities, and they tell you where it's going to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So... You know, it's not like it's at the same place the whole time. If you just said we're going to do one year in Sydney, one year in Melbourne, and one year in Wellington, people are probably going, okay, well, that's fair for everyone because it's a, it's a toss of the coin. But if you end up saying come fifth or sixth as uh, Western Sydney Wanderers and you make the final and you're against Perth, for example, or a Melbourne team that's in, the, in Sydney, you've got an advantage mm. because you're home, you're comfortable, and all the other bits and pieces. There's a reason why home in a way in football is so, so crucial. And so, I, you know, and, and one thing I always remember is when it was in Adelaide and when it was in Melbourne, they are massive crowds. You would go for that crowd passion alone. I'm not sure you're going to sit in Sydney when nobody's got that same sort of passion and watch two teams going through the numbers. It's To me, it's just the optics are bad, the timing's bad, and how they managed it is, is bad as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, if they'd come out and said, hey, we've taken a financial hit from COVID, we're doing this to, to fix that, and then after that we'll go back to normal, I would have gone, okay, I don't like it, but I, I get that. Get the, but they're trying to sugarcoat it and sell it to us like it's a brilliant idea. And I think that's what's stuck in the core of a lot of people. The other thing too, Chris, the top seven grand finals in A-League history in terms of attendance none of them have been in Sydney. Is that right? None of them. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that tells you something as well, I think, even though there are five teams in New South Wales. I mean, they've only ever had three all-New South Wales finals. Oh, wow. And mm. they've had four grand finals that have had nobody from New South Wales in them. So, I mean, you get, I mean, including last year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you get two Melbourne teams in a grand final in Sydney. What's that going to look like? Well, that's right. And, and But the facts you've just read should have been part of the decision. Yeah, 100%. You know, and I know it probably makes it easier from the organising. You've got a year to work it out and all the rest. But you know what? Those home clubs, when you get that final, they will do everything. And it doesn't matter about who makes the money. Imagine if there's a final. The Wellington Phoenix have earned the right to host the final, and it's in Wellington. The place is jam-packed, full of people that would maybe not normally go. Whereas they're in a final in Sydney, and it's Sydney. Whereas if you'd said, we've won the game, we're going to go to Melbourne, 
people would go. Yep. 100%. Because it's built and built and built, and it just seems too pragmatic and too sensible and, and doesn't understand the passion of fans and the excitement they want to have as being part of something. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We'll talk more about that a little late, later in the show. When we come back, uh, Love Racing update with Louis Hume and Watt. Millie, thanks very much for coming in. Anytime.